0: God. Praise Jesus. Can we please turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 11? Luke 11. Luke 11. Our God is good. Luke 11. And in Luke 11, we're going to read from... From the verse twenty-nine, please. Look eleven, verse twenty-nine. Hmm. Look eleven, the verse twenty-nine. Luke 11, verse 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign. And there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the son of man be to this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in, in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. No man, when he has lighted a candle, put, put it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on the candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Hmm. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the light, as when the bright as when the bright shining of a candle does give thee light. Praise God. Hmm. The, The passage before us is a very interesting and challenging one praise Jesus I'd like you to tell the person sitting next to you these words you need clear vision you need clear vision (laughs) you need clear vision Right, we are most, most of us are aware that there is a new way of signing in to most of our systems, you want to sign into any software, any program, anything you are required to do a two-way identification this two-way identification is in some way a form of making sure that you are the one basically it's a is an evidence collection system to make sure that you are the one signing in. If you are not the one signing in, obviously they will kick you out. So the need the need for evidence in 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 life is is a good one. It is good that you provide evidence that you can do something or you can support something, or you are capable of handling a task or, or, or anything. When you want to get a job, they will ask you for evidence. You want to go to a certain school, they will ask you for evidence. It's a good thing. But sometimes, this search or request for evidence can become sinful or wicked and it is used by some people to frustrate others or to just say we don't want you. For example you've done a three-year course at the university when you are completed applying for jobs they ask you can you provide a five-year experience Evidence that you can do this job. Now, where do you get these five years experience? Even if you had a job experience whilst you were on the course, the course was only for three years, so how do you provide that? Challenging. Challenging. And it's a bit frustrating. And unfortunately, some people try to do that when they come into the faith with God. Well, they ask God for more evidence. They ask God for more evidence. If, if God can give me more evidence that this is this, then I'll believe and I'll do this step or I'll, 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 I'll take that step. But the question is, what is God's view about asking him for more evidence When he has given you some evidence in the past. That is the question. What is God's view about this? And today we want to look into the scripture because Luke helps us here to answer this question. And why people ask for more evidence. God is merciful. Right, come with me to the Luke chapter 11, please. Luke Luke 11. Praise Jesus. Just one second. Just give me a second. Sorry, I was trying to share, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It's not working. Okay, Luke 11, 29. In Luke 29, oh sorry, Luke 11, 29 uh, to 36, in this passage, very briefly, we have Luke saying that the people gathered around Christ Jesus, and when they gathered around him, he, 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 he immediately told them, this generation is an evil generation. Wow, very blunt and sharp, it's an evil generation. Because they're asking him for a sign, and no sign shall be given them but the sign of Jonah the prophet. But the son of Jonah the prophet, and. Praise the Lord. The son of Jonah the prophet. And as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so is he to that generation. And then he makes mention of the Queen of Sheba, and then he also talks about the, about the people of, Min, of, of Nineveh. Then finally he gives this sort of parable, which when you read that particular passage, it's a bit <laughs> heavy to, sometimes a bit difficult to grasp what Christ really was saying there, and in relation to what, he had said before, so that this is the passage before us. But the thing that Christ is dealing with here is the fact that the people have asked him for something, it looks like he ignored them in the past, but he didn't really because he was dealing with one thing and then. In verse 29 he seemed to be answering a question or a request that had been made before which i will get to in a few minutes but first of all he starts by telling them that this generation oh so this is an evil generation generation a generation is simply a cycle of either a family a tribe or even a whole nation could be a generation we know some sometimes people will say in my generation in my day in our generation we did this and we did that generation spanning about 15 to 30 years but Christ calls this generation and e- that's his generation he he calls them an evil generation an evil generation why does he call them an evil generation? He calls them an evil generation because, in the, in the verse 29, he said, they seek a sign. They seek a sign. So for seeking a sign, he's calling them an evil generation. So here we are, we are looking at the evidence-seeking generation. Right, We are looking at Christ is presenting to us an evidence-seeking generation. One that was, and I think it's very much like our generation right now. It is heavily evidence-based. If you can't show us any scientific evidence, then we can't believe. So this generation was asking for an evidence, a proof, that he is really the Messiah, or what he's saying is true, or whatever. And he says, he calls them an evil generation. Now, the word evil simply means wicked, wicked, nefarious, villainous, okay, generation. A satanic generation. Why? Why does he call them a wicked, nefarious, villainous generation? why a diabolical generation a generation that is wicked why does he call them that just for asking a sign now if you come back to the 11 verse 16 then we would possibly understand what he's doing here 1116 in 1116 after he cast out the dumb spirit from the man who was dumb, in the verse 15, others, others, some of them said he was doing it by the chief of the, of the devil, which is Beelzebub. And then some others said that he was doing it. Sorry, some others said, now, show us a sign. It is not by Beelzebub, show us a sign. Show us a sign, and look carefully, write this. It says, tempting him. That is, when they were asking for a sign, they were tempting him. Right? They were tempting him. They were setting a trap for him. Hmm. That is the issue here. Because... Asking for a sign by itself is not negative. It's not a bad thing. It's not a wicked thing. Because if we look at Judges chapter 6, the 37th verse to the 40th verse, Judges 6, 37 to 40. Here in this passage, we see how Gideon, when God was asking him to rise up and fight for Israel, Gideon put out what is popularly called a fleece, okay, and a fleece is not a bad thing if it's a personal thing, if it's a personal thing. You're asking God for a personal thing. It's got nothing to do with a whole group. It is you God is dealing with. So he asked for a fleece and said, God, if you're indeed sending me to do this job, what I'm asking you is this. Cause this fleece, and that's why it got the name fleece, from an animal, something that was on the ground. It causes fleece to get wet in the night, but all around it to be dry. By tomorrow morning, and I'll know that you sent to me. So God did that the morning. Then He again said, "You know what? Thank you for this evidence, but I want further evidence tonight. Or tonight, can you do the same thing again? Can you again make the make the fleece dry and everything around it wet?" and God did that again so you see so God is not against giving evidence okay if you need more assurance if you need more assurance come to him he will give you so the question is God against more evidence the thing that the answer is not necessarily so For the generation of Christ Jesus, they are asking for more evidence was a trap. It was their way of tempting him. They wanted him to fall into a trap. Okay. It was a diabolical thing they were asking of him. It was evil. It was wicked. It was satanic because they are attempting their, their whole plan and intention was to cause him to fall into a trap so they would have him but the master would not allow that to happen so as look at the verse 29 again he says no so he says no sign shall be given you or no sign shall be given it. it's an evil generation i will not go, I'm, I'm not going to give you any sign <laughs> now, the no sign might also seem to contradict his own teaching in Luke nine, in, in Luke eleven, verse nine, because in eleven nine, you remember, he told them to what ask, seek, and knock. So how can he just in the same setting tell people, ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, and these people are asking, though tempting him. So does he really refuse them? No. He said no sign shall be given. Basically what he's saying is that the sign you are looking for is right before you, so I can't give you anything beyond me. Look at the verse 29. He says, The sign that shall be given you is the sign of Jonah the prophet, right? But in the verse 30, as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. That, so basically mean, meaning, I am your sign. I, standing here right now, that has performed this miracle, I am your sign. Only if you have the eyes to see Oh, only if they had the eyes that they could see that the very evidence they were looking for was right in front of them. But unfortunately, they could not see. Why? Because their vision was blurred. They had blurred vision. They could not see. Their vision wasn't good. They lacked clear vision. So Christ, after telling them that the only sign they're gonna get is Himself if only they could see. But for their clear, for their blurred vision, he knew they could not see. Now the thing is this. He calls, <laughs> hallelujah, praise God. He calls upon two people, two people. He calls upon two people who he says, if they should appear in judgment, with you, or with this generation, they will condemn you. So, I am not the only one telling you you are wicked. I'm not the only one saying that you belong, I mean, you you have your part with Satan. But your own kind, fellow human beings like you, that lived on the earth, should they stand in the judgment of God with you, they would also condemn you. Now the reason why they will condemn you is because they had clear vision. Praise God. Who are these people? It is the queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh. Let's have a look. Verse 31. The queen of Sheba, sorry, the queen of the South. Now, the Queen of the South, we understand, is referring to the Queen of Sheba. The other gospels confirm that. The queen of the, of the South, referring to the Queen of Sheba, shall rise up in the judgment with this men, with the men of this of this generation. Now, the word men here does not mean that women are excluded. The men here is just a general term for people. So basically what Christ is saying here is this the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. The reason they will condemn a like I said earlier on is because she had clear vision. And here we have a demonstration of her clear vision. It is this. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth. To hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Praise God. He came from the ends of the earth. Now, the, the queen of Sheba came from the far end as Christ, from the utmost part of the earth, specifically from Arabia which is a distance of almost 2,000 miles from Arabia to Jerusalem. And we also understand that, he, that she did not come to Jerusalem by air. She came riding on a beast of burden, traveling 2,000 Miles, almost. It's about nineteen eighty-two point eight miles, which is almost two thousand miles. Travelling for what purpose? Because she has she has heard that there was wisdom, the wisdom of God was being manifested in a man called Solomon in Jerusalem. So he she made this journey to come to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Jesus admired this woman's, you know, clear vision. And, he, and, and, and here he uses it to compare with his generation that was a wicked generation. She, not only did the Queen of Sheba travel 2000, almost 2,000 miles to Jerusalem just to hear the wisdom of God. When she came in first Kings, right? In first Kings chapter 10, we understood that he also came with gifts. She came with gifts. Praise God. She came with she came with gifts. Gifts to bless Solomon. Gifts to give to Solomon. And the gifts beside the spices, she was brought. Uh, uh, gold not a sheep Solomon didn't have gold he, he, he had them but she brought them too. hallelujah and not only that when she came and she learned from Solomon she also praised Solomon sorry she praised God so three things we can see this queen of Sheba does She she journeys this, she she makes this long journey, make this long journey, come with gifts to bless. And then, when she's experienced it, she praises God. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus did not use her because, did not give her as an example because she was the only one who came to Solomon. No, other kings had come. Other kings had come. Come with me, come with me to the verse. Come with me to the verse. Praise God. First of all, let's look at the, let's look at what. Let's look at what she does here, the things that she does. Let's look at it, the first thing that she does. And she gave the king, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee, to set thee on the throne of David thy father. Hallelujah. David, throne of of thy father, David. So, set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made the king to do ju- judgment and justice. And she gave the king hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great, store and precious stones. There came no more such substance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to, gave to Solomon. Praise the Lord. So you see she didn't come empty handed. She didn't come empty handed. She came with all this stuff and she made this long stretch. The question is this. How are we when we when we come to understand or when we hear of God's word or God's wisdom or God's anything anywhere do we make any such efforts unfortunately in the days that we live in right now even when the Word of God is coming to people's living room even in their bedroom they are making no effort oh my goodness Christ said the Queen of Sheba will rise in judgment in, in the in, in the judgment and condemn the people he was speaking to. Oh my goodness, what judgment away some people in our day. My goodness, I can't wait to see. I mean, I I don't want to experience and I don't want to witness what shall be. Because these days we have people they have the things so close to them, but they because of their blurred vision, they're giving no attention. But this queen will come from far. Some people, they will come so close. They will so come come, come so close to the things of God. But their money is so stuck in their pocket. It can't come out. They're tight-fisted. They won't give anything to the things of God. The kingdom of God may perish. What If God can't fend for himself, they've got no business. At, at they've got nothing to, to, to to give towards the kingdom of God, oh my God! But this queen of Sheba came with so much treasure to bless. And there are some also today that won't lift open, they won't lift their tongue to praise God. You can't get them to praise God. No, they can't do it. They feel shy. Oh my goodness. I don't want to witness that day when we stand in the judgment, when the queen of Sheba is called to to give her verdict. Upon the people who stand before God. Who won't praise God for nothing. They won't give God nothing. They won't make no sacrifice for nothing. Oh my goodness. I don't want to witness that day. What it will be like. She said. He said. She will condemn them. God have mercy. God have mercy. God have mercy. She came from far. Then the next person he calls upon is the he's the he's the people of the people of Nineveh. Nineveh. He says in the verse, isn't in the verse 32? Come with me, please. In the verse 32. He says, The men of Nineveh shall also rise up in the judgment with the generation. And they shall also condemn. So not only the queen of Sheba, but the men of the people of Nineveh would also condemn this generation. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. As horrible as his preaching was, they repented. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. You see, Christ is saying, I am greater, I am more than Solomon. But you're not hearing me. I am more, I'm a better preacher than, let's turn to it, let's turn to it. Jonah Jonah 3, Jonah 3, The, the book of Jonah. Excuse me. Praise God. Excuse me. Okay. In the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter three. In the verse. Four. Let's look at let's over the verse four. And Jonas, this is my, oh, I, I, don't know it might be a summary it might be a summary of his preaching but the preaching was this and jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said yet 40 days and nineveh shall be overthrown yet 40 days and maybe maybe i guess i want to say maybe it was a summary of his preaching but if this was his preaching then obviously, Jesus is a thousand times more better preacher than him. Maybe I am too. In 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In 40 days, and you are you are you are you are finished in 40 days? If that was a preaching, my goodness, whoa, I don't want to live in Nineveh at that time, straight judgment, no mercy. Now watch this. Why does Jesus admire Jonah's preaching, or serving the people of Nineveh? Were they any good people? Of course not. No, no, no way. No way. No way. Look at the verse 11 of the, of the, of the chapter 4. Verse 11 of the chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 verse, verse, verse 11. Let's have a look at it. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than 6,000 persons, that is 120,000 persons, that cannot discern between right and sorry, their right hand and their left hand and their cattle also. You see, so God is saying that they, both the people and their cattle, both the people and their animals, cannot discern their right hand from their left hand. Can you imagine the the city? They and their animals are like the same. They are same, but these people, God commands them that they that they will rise in the judgment to condemn his generation. Why? Because when they heard the preaching of Jonas, they repented in sackcloth. The king from the top to the top of everybody. And now you see, the king made everybody in Nineveh, in Nineveh to wear sackcloth and not eat. Hey, sometimes people are putting their stomach down and, oh, let their kids eat. No, it was such a serious matter, everybody fasted. When I say everybody, I mean everybody. Children and animals. He made even the animals fast. That was how how serious they were. That is when they heard the word of God towards them. They took it seriously. They were not kidding. They were not joking. Unfortunately, their preacher was horrible. Sometimes you get a preacher who doesn't like you and you get offended. Go to Nineveh. Come with me to Nineveh and see the preacher they had. That preacher wished they were dead. That preacher didn't want to preach to them. Actually, he reluctantly preached. Even the judgment he preached, I'm sure he would have loved to actually not speak but just bring fire on them because he first ran away because he didn't want to preach to them. he didn't want them to be saved let, let alone preach to, to them no way but f- even with such a preacher they responded properly to God they had clear vision how? Hmm. so Nineveh Had clear vision. Jonah had clear vision. Wow. So the question then is what is clear vision? Mm -hmm. Praise God. Am I able to do it? Are you able to do it for me? Praise Jesus. uh, Okay. Uh, the some, can some can what is, what is clear vision? What is clear vision? Because you know, Sheba had it, the Nevite, the Ninevites had it, but his generation did not have it. What is it? Come with me now to the verse 33 of Luke 11. Luke 33 verse 11. Please. Luke 33 verse uh, verse 11. Hmm. Amazing. Look at verse 33. Look, sorry, look at the, Luke 11 verse 33, sorry. Hmm. Christ says, no man When he has lit a candle, put it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, praise God, that it may give light. Basically, to them which come in, that they may see. Basically, what Christ is saying is this. There is no human being who will light his candle and then go and put it under some dungeon and expect, or put it under some, put it in a cupboard, close the cupboard, and then expect his room to light up. Nobody ever does that. In another sense, what he's saying is this, that God is not trying to hide anything from anyone. God isn't hiding anything from anyone, and just like you and me, when we build our houses or when we get into any house, we make sure that the bulbs are right where they ought to be, in the proper places, because if the bulbs or the lights were not where they're supposed to be, imagine if the lights were put in your cellar, and you come home and you turn on your switch. Would there be any lights in your home? No, you wouldn't. So we put them in places so that when we turn on the light, turn on, turn, turn on the switch, the light comes on and we're able to see things in the house. That's what Christ is saying. That that is what everyone goes for. Okay? So number one, God isn't hiding anything from anyone. But... Besides, besides God providing light for the things that he puts before us, either in his word or in the manifestation of his kingdom, like the healing of the dumb man, besides God throwing light before us, there is. Another kind of light that is needed for us to be able to see what God is doing. And this he says in the verse 34. So God provides you light, but then there must be a light within you to be able to see what God is showing you and that's where he's going verse 34 he is still answering his wicked generation in the verse 34 it says the light of the body is the eye hello therefore when thy eye is single thy whole body also is full of light But when thy eye is evil, the body also is full of darkness. What is he saying here? What Jesus is saying is this. He's talking about the eye. Is it just the natural eye? Yes. And no. He's using the natural eye to make to talk about the spiritual eye or talk about your spiritual understanding or talk about that part of you that is able to make sense or make meaning of what you see and it's called vision. When people talk about vision in business and in leadership, it is not the kind that Christ is talking about here. He is talking about vision, and I will explain that in a second. Hallelujah. Amen. Oftentimes, we talk about blurred vision and clear vision. But when we make this statement, it often comes across as what the natural eye can see. But there is a difference between vision and what your natural eye can see called sight. Praise God. Hallelujah. We've talked about in the last weeks how to make those choices, those excellent choices, those choices that... You know puts you in a better relationship with God but what we are looking at here today is that without clear vision you will not even be able to make good judgment to make those good choices so for us to be able to make good choices it is of most important that our vision is clear And that we understand the difference between normal sight and what we call clear vision. It is this. So what is vision? And what is sight? Sight is physical. Sight is physical. Let me do... A little dig into my secondary school physics I as a young man in school studying science was amazed or surprised to learn that we only see things because I always thought I see things because I've got eyes But then an experiment made me understand that I actually know I see things because there is light. First. First. So does it mean that my eyes are not needed for looking at things? Oh yes, my eyes are needed. And I'll come to that in a minute. So basically... When an object like right now, your Bible might be before you, or you are looking at me right now. The reason why you are able to see me is because there is a light falling on me. And what happens is that when the light falls upon me, this light reflects. And the reflection hits the lens of your eye. When it hits the lens of your eye, it is then transmitted into your. It goes and then sorry through the lens of your eye, and then it hits the retina. And when it hits the retina, it now goes to the brain, and the brain say that is an image of so and so, and say oh I see. So at that point you say I see. Now that is not vision, that is sight. But interestingly, when you go to the opt- 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 optician like Specsavers, they will say this is your vision. But vision, as we are considering from the scripture point of view, is not that. That is sight. Vision is when after you have seen. The details of the object, okay? So vision, it is the sense you make of what you have seen. Sorry, the, yeah, the sense, or let me put it this way, the proper sense, the proper meaning, the proper interpretation you give to what you are seeing is what we call vision. So when the ghost shows you something, You need clear vision to be able to to make sense or respond to that thing, or make a better choice, or else you will not be able to. Right now, I will ask you to do an experiment for me. If you can, wherever you are, can you just close your, do your palm like this, and with your eyes open, Cover your eye. Bring it so close. Bring it so close. Bring it so close. Bring it so close, it so close that it, it is almost bring it so close so that it touches your face. Let it let it let it touch your face. Now, with your eyes still open, can you see anything? Can you see anything? Touch your touch your face with your with your palm. Can you see anything with your, with your eyes still open? Of course not, you can't. Because it is pitch black. You can't see anything. So even though your eyes are open, you, you can't see now with your eyes closely fold now open your fingers a little little bit open your fingers now when you open your fingers with your eyes open now can you see yes you can because a little light is coming through now this is what christ is describing here right that's what he's, he's describing here that if your the whole body is full of light but when thy eye is evil, you're not able to see all that. Now, if the light is coming through and your, your eye is good, you're able to see things properly. But when the light is not coming through, though your eye may be good, it won't see. But also, light can be coming through. And let's say you wanna, you've got a squinty eye, you can't open it very clearly even though light may be there you can not see things very clearly and it will be blurred before you I wanted to show you blurred pictures and clear visions but unfortunately the technical things failed me so just bear with me praise God and let me just talk so vision is how the mind interprets the things that your eyes see or the images that are that hit your retina how your mind interprets them the meaning it makes of them praise God so sight your sight your eye your, your sight allows you to witness something but it is your vision that helps you understand the importance of what you are seeing so you can see something but if you cannot tell the importance of the thing your vision is blurred and if you cannot tell the importance of the thing that God shows you your vision about the things of God is blurred and you will make decisions or you'll be looking for more evidence and you will qualify that the title a wicked person but God have mercy hallelujah praise God so when our vision is blurred we cannot see things properly and we will continually be making You know, be be calling good bad and calling bad good. We will misunderstand things. When your vision is blurred, imagine looking at a blurred screen, I mean a blurred picture. You can't make sense of it. You can't really seem to see very clearly. What is it? And then you need to get a magnifying glass. Like, you know, those of us who who wear glasses, sometimes when you take the glasses off, All the words come together and you can't see anything. And so when you can't see things, of course, your judgment is going to be wrong. When you can't see clearly, it is very natural. It is is just logic that your judgment will be wrong. The way you see things will be funny. And what you come up with will be funny. It is quite sad when you get blurred visionary people, people whose visions are blurred, telling you how things ought to be. It's quite sad. It's quite sad. God have mercy. Hallelujah. But I've come to tell you today, not only do we need clear vision in our relationship with God, but I've come to tell you that you are also responsible for keeping a clear vision you are responsible responsibility lies on your head look at the verse 35 quickly take heed therefore praise God take heed therefore that the light which is indeed is not darkness so, what he's saying here is this that what the Lord Jesus Christ does, or what, or what God when, when God says, are uh, his lie, his truth, or manifest his kingdom in any form or shape, what he's saying is this the responsibility for responding properly. To what God is showing us lies in our own hands. So he says, Take heed, watch out, be careful, pay attention to this that the light that is in thee is not darkness. What is he talking about? Verse 34. The light of the body is the eye. So when he says, Take heed that the light in thee is not darkness, what, he say, say, what he's saying is that take heed that your eye is not darkened. That your eyes, your vision, which we have understood to mean vision, is autonomous. Optim- that's, that's the original word, it means vision. That your vision is not dark your vision is not blurred so make sure watch out take heed be careful watch on this thing that your vision that your vision is not blurred but it's, it is clear that the responsibility lies in our hands in our own hands not in anybody not in any preacher remember Jonas preached. Jonas preached a message he didn't even want to preach but the people had clear vision. And they got it. So don't put a blame on the preacher. Hey. Stop putting the blame on the preacher. 40 days and judgment. 40 days and you're finished. And the people panicked. And they responded. I'll be responding like that. When you have heard the the, the word of God and it's sharp and it's sharp like a hammer and it's kind of like pinches you. Do you go home angry with a preacher or you go home saying, thank God I heard that word. it straightened me up. Or you get angry, take your back and leave the church and say, I'm done with this church. You're preaching against me. My question to you is that when the preacher is preaching, who should he be preaching to? The desk, or the iPads, or the tables, or the lightning system. The preacher is preaching to the people. So, how dare you say he preached against me? Who else should he preach against? Let's get our vision cleared. And stop the blurry vision. I'm sorry if I come so harsh this morning, but I've got a package for you. I've got a message for you that you are responsible for your for your vision. You are responsible for your response to God Almighty. No one else is. You are. I put it to you that you are none else. None else. You are. Oh, not my fault. Well, the preacher's fault. The preacher did that. The preacher was stubborn, my preacher fornicated, my preacher, did, so I'm also backslip backslidden. It's your responsibility, man. No preacher is responsible for your response to God. If you fall because a preacher falls, you have fallen. There ain't gonna be anything saying that because a preacher fell, now you are exonerated. No. You're culpable. Sorry church, if your past sound too harsh and too hard this morning, but I've got a package for you. It's about time that we wake up because the Lord has found most of us sleeping. And taking liberties and judgment lies at the door. And I can't wait to, to pat, you know, to palliate you on the back, and pat you on the back and say, it's all right, keep on fooling. And, and then you go and meet your maker and he tells you, well, your preacher only just loved you and didn't tell you straight talks. You're responsible, not me, for your own salvation. We are responsible I'm responsible and so are you responsible so the question I'm expecting you to be asking me right now is so preacher how do we avoid blurred vision or how do we move from blurred vision to Clear vision because maybe I have blurred vision I have no interest in the things of God my interest in the things of God has sunk down deep down low I'm in the low end I don't even feel for church anymore I feel like on Sunday just walking around my blog just having fun talking to friends and all that brother your vision is blurred your vision is blurred Oh, no one can tell me what to do. Your vision is blurred. Oh, how dare you talk to me like that? Your vision is blurred. It's your vision, not me. Your vision is blurred. Who do you think you are? I'm older than you. Your vision is blurred. It's got nothing to do with age. She's got no right to, to preach to me brother it's your vision that is blurred she's a woman she can't command me to do anything it's your vision that is blurred it needs to be corrected blurred vision quickly When vision is blurred there are three major corporates among others three major corporates and i'll mention them quickly so that we can deal with these corporates the first corporate is prejudice prejudice when you prejudge a person even before you encounter them or deal with them Prejudice. The people, instead of taking time to know Christ Jesus, they had their prejudice against him. They don't like him. They don't want to deal with him. So they could not, they could not. Their vision was blurred because they could not. Prejudice has stopped them from being able to see clearly that Christ was the Son of God before them. Why? They didn't like him. They didn't like him. They did not like him. And sometimes people become prejudiced because of the friends they have. You see, because so and so is my friend, and my friend doesn't like you, I also shouldn't like you. If you take that stand in the things of God, you've already got blood vision. And so, to to carry that blood vision, you need to come. You need to part with prejudice. Prejudice. The preacher wants my money. Prejudice. Take it away. Remove that. All they want is for me to serve in the house of God. Prejudice. Take it away god wants you to serve if you don't want to serve in the hands of god that by itself indicates blurred vision your vision is blurred as a reason why you don't even want to entertain the idea of serving in the house of god because you should be hands and feet on the ground say lord what do you want me to do But if you just want to sit on your knees and cross your legs and do nothing and have the the milk and honey of God's land be poured into your mouth and then say, Praise you, oh hallelujah, my tummy is full, my soul, you've got a soul might not eat and drink. He said, Hey, I'll take your life from you. I'm sorry. If I sound too harsh forgive me I received the, the word prejudice the second corporate is pride 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 is when you feel better than the other person their pharisees and receives and all of them sees and do's. They thought that they were better than Christ Jesus because they are they have schooled and there are many schools and have got all their degrees and whatever, so they are better than this person. Why should he be having the miracles and all that? Pride. Pride. When we when we allow pride to fill our hearts, we get blurred vision. We are not able to come to the word of God and really appreciate it and take it in because as you know, when vision, when what you are seeing is blurred, you can't make any sense of it. It's as simple as that. When something is blurred, that's what it is. You can't make any sense of it. It's blurred. That's it. And it's finished. You can't make sense of it. It's blurred. It's blurred. Pride. That God deliver us from pride. That says, you know what? I am the best. Everyone here is crap. I'm the only one that can do it. And if without me, nothing can be done. I am Alpha and Omega. Yeah, I understand that we are we are in the Alpha generation, but still, only God is Alpha and and Omega. Praise God. And we need to understand that when your vision is blurred, it is either due to among many things it is it is either due to prejudice or pride 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 of life pride of life you feel too big in your shoes for anything you feel too big you don't want to submit to anything why should I sit down and be spoken to like this oh my goodness I will always point it back to Nineveh Jonah preached 40 days and judgment is coming and everyone got on his knees and God said, wonderful. I turned, I stopped the judgment and God blessed them. The third corporate is selfishness. Selfishness. When you want something all for yourself, you want everything to just be for you. These Pharisees and Sadducees, if you listen to their conversation very well, at one time they said something like, See, the miracles are very clear. We can all see it. People are thronging him. All the crowd is moving towards him. If we don't do something, we will lose the crowd. So you see, they did not want anyone to go to Christ. They wanted, every, they wanted them to be that, the center of attention. Christ has come and he's taking all the attention.' So he said, "No, we don't want that." So they started to persecuting him, so they started doing all kinds of things. So the moment selfishness steps in, your vision becomes blurred. Greed comes under selfishness. Greed. greed. Financial, you know, when some one people just want financial power, you see, he went to the, the temple and he would clear the temple and kick all the doves and things out and clear them and and spoil their business and they got upset with him. Some people, when it comes to their money, forget about God. That's blood vision right there. If for money, if for money, you will abandon the things of God and seek money. I've come to tell you point blank without any any shadow of doubt or without equivocation or missing words that your vision is blurred. We avoid these three things. If you call clear vision right now, Avoid these three things but if your vision is already blurred and you've been asking for more evidence and all and you are all mixed up and you're not even sure you, you 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 can you you can sense that you are actually living worldly and not don't know what to do brother sister it is your vision that has become blurred you can see anything that God presents you need to move away break the prejudice break the pride and break the selfishness but god promises us that if we have clear vision through and through through and through deal with these little foxes you know that bear our vision if we if if we if we deal with them then we would have the light hallelujah it shall be like when you turn on the light in the room; everything shall become clear. Our walk with God shall be straight and steadfast. Our relationship with God shall be sure and certain. Our intimacy with God shall be sweet. My goodness! Look at the verse thirty-six: If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no dark part, having no part dark, that is, there's no part that is dark. The the whole shall be full of light, as when the light shineth, shining up of a candle that's give light in the room. If we get rid of these things, the promise of God is that we shall become so clear. Praise God, our vision shall be clear, and we shall enjoy the life of life. We shall enjoy that light of that life of light with, with God. Our fellowship with Him shall be sweet. We shall respond accordingly and we shall experience God for who he really is. And our hearts shall be full of assurance, hope, and confidence. Praise God. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. I'm done. I see the Lord. I see the Lord, high upon the of the people of the earth. I see the Lord. The Lord The The King Upon the throne Forever The Lord, as we sing the song you want to prepare you want to, you want to pre- prepare for breaking bread as we sing the song I want to come to somebody today maybe you are hearing us today but you're not born again the life of God is not in you and clearly clearly if Christ is not in you you know your vision is cleared Sorry, it's blurred because you don't appreciate anything of God. That means your vision is blurred. Today you want to pray and say, Lord God Almighty, have mercy upon my soul. Change me. Change me, Lord. I repent. I want to follow you. I want to have this clear vision that this preacher is talking about. If you're that person, talk to God right now. Forget about the person standing next to you or sitting next to you and talk to God and say, God Almighty, forgive me my sins, show me mercy, cleanse me from sin, and save my soul. I want to have a clear vision. I want to walk with you. Talk to Him. Talk to Him. Let Him save you. Or maybe you are born again. You are born again. If you are here, if you are under the sound of my voice, I want you to understand. This is a solemn and important moment. It's not time for looking at things. If you are doing that, whilst you are worshipping God, it's very clear your vision is blurred. You want to be in that place of worship, where you are worshipping and adoring God. There's a time for everything. This time is to bless God. Is to praise Him, is to adore Him. Maybe you are already born again, but you can identify with, with, with what we're talking about. That sometimes, you know, you, you don't really enjoy the things of God. Is things that are going to be dry and, and, and off for, for you. It's very clearly, is very clear that your vision is blurred. You want to pray, say, Lord, help me. I've seen what I need to deal with. Is it selfishness? Is it pride of life? Is it prejudice? Am I chasing after things for just myself, money? Am I chasing for things for myself, which is, which is still selfishness? And so I've ignored you, Lord. I let go today. I push away because I don't want to be condemned by the king of Sheba and the men of Nineveh. I, I, I don't want to be condemned by them. You want to talk to him and say, "Lord, help me. Overcome these things." Talk to him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. On the night, Bible says, on the night on which he was betrayed, after they have t- eaten the bread, he took the bread he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you that you may be put together that you may be healed I have been broken that you may be made whole eat it in remembrance that I've done this for you father I pray that as your people eat the bread today Whoever is broken in any way, in illness, loss of hope, loss of joy, what I pray, Father, there shall be a restoration. Anyone broken in any shape or form, there shall be a restoration. Ah! I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same manner after supper he took the, the wine it, to the cup and he said this cup is a New Testament or the new agreement signed in my blood as often as you drink it drink it in remembrance of me I trust God that you've all got your cups with with you with your drinking it, as long as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of, of me that I shed my blood to wash away your sins. I don't know what you've gotten yourself into, what has come your way, but today I stand to announce to you that the blood of Christ is able to wash every sin as fake. As a curtain and the temple that was torn is able to wash it away as you drink it by faith, receive your forgiveness. Father, I pray that as your people drink, experience your forgiveness, and sense that oneness, the fellowship, that intimacy that we have with you. I pray. In the souls and the spirits of your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Forever and ever, for Sing. the king the lamb upon the throne who reigns forever vamos my the king thank you father Rains boring. Father we thank you so much. May we be established, may we be rooted by your word which we have received today. May there be changes, may there be corrections made May there be a turning around, oh God, for your truth that has come to us. That we rise up with clear visions and together press forward in advancing your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And the saints say, Amen. God bless you. The word of God, I must say, to you, is quick. The Word of God is living. The Word of God is not just a mere written text. The Word of God is living. It's a living thing. When the Word of God proceeds, when it comes out from the mouth of God, as Matthew puts it, when it comes out from the mouth of God, it is a living and active Word, powerful able to effect change and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. and It is active. It is powerful.